Hello, I'm Daryl Fairchild. I'm Dayton City Commissioner, and I'm uh, here today with an exciting new um, venture. Have an idea, a dream that we could create a conversation and a community around the conversation about uh, how we live together here in Dayton, how we make decisions in the city, and uh, how we make Dayton a better place. Um, the intent here is to uh, create a podcast, a Facebook Live component that would create this community of learners. It'd be an interactive format so that uh, if you're participating on Facebook, you can put some questions up and hopefully we'll have time to uh, answer some of those and uh, hear your questions and create this conversation. And one of the real hopes of the podcast and the, uh, and the Facebook Live chat is that we will demonstrate to others how to have a conversation that is respectful, even though we might disagree on some of the um, issues and topics which we, um, we address. Uh, so that's, that's the hope and the desire. I'm glad you're uh, joining us for this first inaugural uh, podcast. Um, given all that we have been through in uh, 2019 with uh, tornadoes and the mass shooting, the, uh, the death of Officer Del Rio, I thought it might be helpful to have a conversation today around how people deal with trauma and grief, especially through the holidays. Um, I'm chaplain over at Dayton Children's Hospital as well, and one of the um, handouts that we have around this time is how to deal with grief as the holidays come. And so I know this is an important topic, and given all that we have been through, I wanted to address it uh, today. And I have a special guest with uh, me today. It's the Reverend Dr. Carlton Williams. Welcome, Dr. Williams. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. Um, I've known Dr. Williams for many years as a pastor of Mount Olive Baptist Church over on Pontiac Avenue. Um, but I asked him to be here with me today because he spent 15 years as the community service director at the Boonshaw School of Medicine. And uh, he's also a certified trauma-informed care instructor. And so I thought his expertise would be helpful as we look at this issue around trauma and grief. And so, uh, Reverend Williams, to get into this, um, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. We have other holidays coming up, yes. Hanukkah, Christmas, uh, Kwanzaa, um, it, our culture as a whole being kind of a season, holiday season spirit. What makes the holidays such a hard time for folks, if, particularly if they're um, dealing with trauma or grief? Well, you know, I, I think to begin with, Commissioner, um, one of the issues that occur seasonally that typically doesn't occur is in the name itself. It's seasonal. And so when we look at this, we look at seasonal affective disorder, um, and it's a reoccurring uh, major depressive disorder with a seasonal pattern, usually beginning in the fall and continuing into the winter months. And so there are things that happen seasonally that typically we don't have to deal with at other times of the year. Um, for instance, we're dealing with you know, Thanksgiving, and it's a big family outing, a lot of people, a lot of emotion. Uh, we're dealing with Christmas. We're dealing with additional stressors that we don't normally have at other times of the year. And so as a result of that, it becomes extremely difficult um, for people to deal with for a variety of reasons, some of which we can discuss. Um, and then you have the added um, issue of people who have lost loved ones at specific times of the year. Um, Christmas, Thanksgiving, those joyous times of events have now taken on new meaning. 
Uh, what they mean now is that I've lost a loved one. I've lost, there's been a significant incident in my life. Um, that is no longer a happy time. And so it brings about depressive behavior um, as we get into those different times of the year. You know, I think about the holidays and when I uh, interact with people who've lost a loved one, anytime during the year, but when it's the first Thanksgiving, it's yes. the first Christmas, there's memories associated with that. The sting of the loss, I think, is, is, is harsher. Um, the, uh, the memories. Yes. It's, yes. You know, um, my father used, and I used to do this, and now we're not doing that. Or my mother and I did this, or my son did this together. Um, does that play a part? Uh, it's, it's a very big part. Um, one of the things that we do um, with the deaf and grief counseling um, is that all of the first, we try to get ahead of those first to, to acknowledge that they're coming, to acknowledge the specific memories around those times and the events, um, and, and then to explain to them the, the stages of, of death and grieving. Um, Kugler Ross, uh, who's one of the foremost experts, deals with this issue, and one of the issues is that you can go from step one to step six, back to step two to step four. There, there's no uh, uh, chronological order that it's going to occur. It, it'll, it'll be thrusted by emotion or, like you said, memories of events that kind of put you in a, a mood swing that will take you from one experience to the other. Um, so it's important to acknowledge those things. Um, and the reason why we try to stay in front of those things is because when you can anticipate to some degree those things are coming, then you can take some measures that will help you get through those moments. You know, I have talked with people and um, there's kind of two ways to do this. You can do it directly or it's going to come around and hit you from the side or from the back. Sure. And, um, you know, people at, um, at meals when a loved one's not going to be at the table to light a candle or to have their picture. Yes. Take a moment to say their name. You know, there's um, some people are reluctant to say the, the name of a loved one who's died as if that's going to trigger someone's memory or grief. Sure. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, you know, I, I think it's important um, to, to acknowledge that. Uh, there's a family um, actually sat with them during one of these holidays, and they would call the names of all of those who had passed on. Mm -hmm. um, there was a great deal of healing brought about that. Um, sometimes the denial aspect of it, makes it much harder to deal with later on than acknowledging it and kind of dealing with it. And the importance of dealing with it at those moments is that you have a lot of support there. And so there's a shoulder to lean on, there's somebody to wipe a tear away. Uh, there are people who can support you through those moments as opposed to having to deal with those moments by yourself. Um, and once you learn your triggers, then you try to prevent those things from occurring by, you know, showing up your support around those kinds of events because those events are not going away. And then you can kind of transition the event. Um, this family also did things like this. You know, people would, not only would they call the names, but then they would share happy memory. Mm -hmm. And it brings a lot of joy to know that even in the midst of this despair, there are a lot of good things that you can hold on to. And it kind of shifts the paradigm from the sad times to holding on to the good times. And that makes a difference in helping people get through some of those moments. Yeah. You know, you talked about joy, and that seems to be kind of a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Because um, sometimes when we're grieving, 
um, and particularly in the holidays, everyone else is joyous and it's a joyous time and you're not feeling it. So that disparity can make the sting seem a little better. And then there seems to be a, sometimes it feels like if, if I allow myself to be joyous or, you know, I feel that it feels like a betrayal to my grief, to the loved one. Um, yeah, you know, Commissioner, I'll tell you, we experience a lot of that, especially um, during the tornadoes. Um, as we were doing counseling and so forth and the survivor's remorse and those kinds of issues where, you know, your whole block is wiped away but your house didn't get touched. Mm -hmm. And so people are very remorseful of that. Oh, well, why was I spared and, you know, what does that do to me and the impact of that? I, I think the importance of what we do, especially in terms of the training, uh, we are one of many um, agencies in the city that do adult mental health first aid training and the youth mental health first aid training. And one of the things that um, that training provides for folks is to recognize the signs and symptoms and where people are headed and then provide tips on how to help them navigate through those moments. Now, this is not professional counseling, um, but it is first aid and it's first aid by nature. It's the person is having a momentary crisis. And then what we endeavor to do is to resolve that crisis by way of first aid, and then connect them with the appropriate professional help and let them determine the scope and the magnitude of what needs to happen. And some of it can be ongoing. The other issue that we've dealt with around this, um, specifically culturally in many respects, is the stigma associated to it. People don't want to acknowledge what they're going through because they don't want to be perceived a certain way. And so that denies folk the help that they actually need. Um, so there are a couple of avenues that we can deal with to, to assist these things, um, but we just have to let people know what's available and try to encourage them to participate in those kinds of things. Sure. Um, you know, when I think of this, there's kind of a continuum of um, where people might be. There might be people in a kind of acute stage, the loss is fairly recent. Other people might be kind of almost stuck in their, their grief and uh, becoming more chronic. and. Um, and all those are issues around mental health. Um, what might be some signs that I might notice in myself or in a loved one that helps me understand where they are in that continuum and what kind of support they, they might need? Okay. Well, I'll just give you a list of some of the signs, and that is um, uh, unusual sad moods, um, loss of enjoyment or interest in things that used to be enjoyable, Christmas, Thanksgiving, those things used to be fun. Uh, a lack of energy or tiredness, folk are just kind of melancholy, they're not really engaging. Uh, feeling worthless or feeling guilty, um, though not really being at fault, they, there is this sense that something they could have done when we do a lot of the suicide prevention work, uh, what we hear a lot of times for those who have experienced that firsthand, um, they'll say, if I would have been there, I could have done something. Um, so there's that guilt associated with that kind of thing. Um, thinking about death or suicide um, often, and, and what we have to share with people is that the thought is not abnormal, acting on it is. And so we have to explain those kinds of things when you're listening to those kinds of things, because typically people will tell people, well, don't say that or don't do that, and that's not the abnormality that's going on. It's the actually acting out, uh, moving 
slowly or sometimes becoming agitated when things are unsettled. You're used to things being in a certain way. Christmas was this way. Thanksgiving was that way. That routine has been interrupted forever. Um, and so that, that irritates people. Uh, having difficulty sleeping, uh, sometimes sleeping too much, sometimes being overly medicated, uh, loss of interest in food, or sometimes the reverse, eating too much, and then changing in eating habits that may lead to either loss of weight or weight gains, either extreme or some of the things that we want to pay attention to. Um, certainly one of the things that we encourage people to do is uh, be trained in mental health first aid so that they can recognize these signs and symptoms. And it is first aid in every application. And so it's available to everybody from a lay perspective. Um, the one thing about it is that it does not teach folk how to diagnose. And so I, I use the analogy that if I cut my finger, you would be so gracious to give me a Band-Aid. But if I severed an artery, you would take it to the next step. But you would also recognize your limitations. And so the difficulty with teaching mental health is that people tend to cross the line and want to diagnose when really it's just first aid until we can get them to uh, the appropriate help. Um, the other thing is certainly you can make a referral if you're aware of some of the agencies, and I'll mention a few. Um, we need to encourage people to go in to have an assessment, uh, to speak to people. I think when you look at the resources, some of the things that um, people neglect our medical doctors are great resources, and so people have good relationships with medical doctors, and, and that's a viable resource. Um, so I would encourage them to get to the medical doctor, make an appointment with a trusted physician or friend or whatever the case may be, and then there's peer support. Um, there are folk who may be aware of going on, and then you have social agencies if people are active in their churches or civic organizations or whatever those opportunities are for them. And then we have other opportunities. Um, the Adamus Board here in Dayton has an online screener, um, which really starts with, how are you feeling? And it'll ask you a series of questions. It'll take you through those kinds of things. It'll connect you with resources. Um, the Samaritan Behavioral Health um, is also a very good entity that you, know, you can go in, you can get an assessment. And then Mount Olive, of course, does the training uh, for the youth mental health and the adult mental health first aid training. You mentioned the Adamus Board. Um, we should just say that that's an agency of Montgomery County. Adamus of Montgomery County, yes. And that's Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services. Yes. Um, this time has gone really fast. Okay. We're about out of time. I'm looking to see if we have any questions. How do we support others in grief? And, uh, and how do we support someone who's actively grieving, not from a death, but maybe from a divorce or um, a loss of a job? You know, there's, there's yeah. many types of losses. So yeah. oftentimes, you know, even thinking about the tornado, sure. people lost their homes, lost property, lost a sense of identity. Well, I, I can tell you by definition, um, with grief. Anytime there's loss, there's grief. And I, and I learned that um, firsthand when I lost a dog. I never thought about it. I learned it firsthand. You know, when I lost a dog and I cried for two hours and it just didn't register until I got some help. Anytime there's loss, no matter what the loss is, it could be a job, 
Uh, it could be a loved one. It could be anything. Anytime there's loss, where that loss is, is interpreted by that individual, then there's grief. And so then we have to deal with the grieving process. Um, as far as the, the, the grieving um, that's active, divorce and those kinds of things, uh, my best advice would be there are a ton of support groups that will support you. I mean, like we do um, some AA groups at the church and things of those nature. Um, the support is phenomenal. Um, where you're in there with like-minded folk, peers, who are going through what you're going through. One of the things about grief is the isolation that comes. And people kind of get a sense that they're the only one going through it, and they're not. And so it helps when you're interacting with folk who have been through it. Um, but my suggestion would be to reach out to support groups, and I'm sure that the Adamus Board and others, and certainly my honor, we can help you connect with those kinds of groups. Um, but I would actively seek the support of community and friends. Um, peer mentors, peer relationships are very good um, because these people who have actually experienced that, and not only have they experienced it, they've experienced it in a way, Commissioner, that they're able to let you know that your grief is unique and special. And one of the things that happens a lot of times is if you lost your father and I lost my father, I'll say to you, well, when I lost my father, totally different situation. And it, it almost seems though people mean well, disingenuous, and that the people are not uh, being given the full measure of respect that they deserve. And so it's important to connect with groups that know how to guide you through those. Well, we need to be wrapping up, but I okay. think the last takeaway for me here is around that isolation. I know when I've gone through hard times, in my head I can know people love me, but sometimes I don't feel it in my heart. Yeah. And in those moments, I really need to continue to reach out, be around people, because um, you'll get through that that, yes. that, that, ex that moment, that episode that's so hard. Um, and if you know someone who's hurting, to reach out to them, stay connected. And if you're hurting, to reach out. You know, even if you don't feel like doing it, you know, force yourself to, to stay connected, be social, be around people. I would, I would just add this. It's important for us when we're around folk who are grieving to be persistent. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we found out with the data with respect to suicide completions or attempts is that people would say, if they would have asked me one more time, if they would have said just one more thing, so we must be persistent even in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. That person has to be the primary concern and not ourselves. Great. Thank you, Reverend Williams. Thank you. I um, want to say that uh, we'll be back with a new podcast in the new year. We we'll, don't quite have the date, but we will get that Which soon. One? And um, I want to say some thank yous to Lamont Hall Jr. here at the Dayton Convention Center. Um, where we are temporarily housed as there's work being done on the uh, walkway at City Hall. And that's a good reminder to say if you're planning to come to the City Commission meeting on Wednesday, you will want to come to the Dayton Convention Center to the theater um, and not come to City Hall. So make sure you, you uh, get that in, in, in thought into your mind. Also thanks to Tony Bankston and Andrew Estevez and Melissa Lysath who come from our public uh, Affairs Office, who have helped uh, today take place, and to Maggie Schaller, who's helped set this up. Um, and then a special thank you to you, Reverend Williams, thank you, sir. for being here. And uh, thank you for participating, and I hope you'll continue to join us on this uh, in this conversation as we look at how uh, Dayton can be a better place. 
we're looking for a name for the podcast. Um, right now, we're calling it a work in progress <laughs> because uh, it is a work in progress. But I think there's some, some you know, it's it's a work. Theologians, we can also talk about how all of us are a work in progress. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank you all, and have a great day.